They heard the click of the letterbox and flop of letters on the doormat. Get the post, Dudley, said Uncle Vernon from behind his paper. Make Harry get it. Get the post, Harry. Make Dudley get it. Poke him with your smelting stick, Dudley. Harry dodged the smelting stick and went to get the post. Three things lay on the doormat. A postcard from Uncle Vernon's sister Marge, who was holidaying on the Isle of Wight. A brown envelope that looked like a bill and a letter for Harry. Harry picked it up and stared at it, his heart twanging like a giant elastic band. No one ever in his whole life had written to him. Who would? He had no friends, no other relatives. He didn't belong to the library, so he never even got rude notes asking for books back. Yet here it was, a letter, addressed so plainly there could be no mistake. Mr. H. Potter, the cupboard under the stairs, for Privet Drive, Little Winging, Surrey. Chapter 3. The Letters from No One In the aftermath of the zoo trip, Harry has endured his longest ever punishment locked inside his cupboard, and we learn that the only thing Harry has to look forward to is that at the end of his summer break, he will be going to secondary school. The first time in his life, he'll be away from old Dudleykins. It's not long before we arrive at the inciting incident of the chapter. Harry's Hogwarts acceptance letter arrives. One morning when Harry goes to retrieve the post, he finds that there's a letter addressed, very specifically, to him. Instead of opening the letter in the hallway, Harry takes the three pieces of mail into the kitchen and starts to open his letter, only to have it swiped away by Uncle Vernon. And so begins the will-Harry-won't-Harry-ever-get-to-open-his-own-GD letter fiasco. A couple highlights from this section... Harry gets to move out of his cupboard under the stairs and into Dudley's second bedroom, score. Uncle Vernon and Dudley seem to be in a who's-having-a-worse-time competition, and they're both losing. And last, apparently, in very special cases, the post actually does come on Sundays. And cue Uncle Vernon officially and totally losing it. He packs everyone up, and they hit the road. When Uncle Vernon is unable to escape the letters on land, he takes to the sea, as Uncle Vernon is making arrangements for them to stay in a little shack on top of a rock far out at sea, we learn that Harry's 11th birthday is the next day. After the Dursleys and Harry arrive at the little shack, they hunker down as there's a terrible storm raging outside. When everyone goes to bed, Harry is unable to sleep, so he begins what has to be the most epic countdown of his whole life. Let's go. Oh, we're doing a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> What's up, bitches? Hey! hey. Don't you mean That's witches? Right. Yo! It's all ladies in the house today. Don't you I mean you all witches? <laughs> <laughs> Roll call. It's me, your host, Christina. It's me, not your host, Haley. And Grace. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. It's me, your Slytherin, Mary Clay. It's me, birthday girl, Brooke. And it's me, regular Mary Payton. I like that there was a lot of mixture of excitement in that. Yeah, we're all just practicing our emotions right now. <laughs> we're free to express them. There's a lot of This is true. This is true. I don't know. I think Mike's the most emotional person in this group. That's not untrue. Mike has a lot of feelings that really comes out when we're alone. Oh, and he expresses all, all of them. All. Um, how's everyone doing today? Have you had a good week so far? It's 
Wednesday. <laughs> Is Good it job. though? Brooke's birthday is tomorrow, but by the time this releases, it will have been six days Several ago. Weeks ago. <laughs> so I'll be six really, days ago. Wow. Really old by then. Just on death's doorstep. <laughs> <laughs> You're younger than me. <laughs> We all die at different ages. I don't know if you know that, Christina, but none of us know when we're going to die. Statistically, based on my lifestyle, I'm highly likely to die before anyone in this group. We're all dying. We're all dying. Just your daily reminder. On that note... Memento Mori. (laughs) On that note, the letter's from no one. Yes. Yay. So we read this chapter. Oh, crap. Really? You guys read this chapter? Yeah, I know. I just gotta say, I'm I'm really digging the continual role of sassy boy Harry. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, the joke that is oh, at the yeah. very beginning of the chapter. I remember as a kid having to read it like six times mm-hmm. to be like, "What is the joke here?" Because they say he runs away, and I'm like, "Okay, what did he say?" But it's the joke about stuffing people's heads down the toilet, <laughs> right? Dudley's like, I heard they do that at your new school. Do you want to come practice with me? And Harry says, no thanks. The poor toilet's never had anything as horrible as your head down it. It might be sick. And then he ran. When I was a kid, I was like, what the fuck is he saying? To be fair, that means that you are on the exact same level as Dudley. He he runs before Dudley could work out what he'd said. So I'm just saying equivocal levels of intelligence. I was like four years younger than him when I started. (laughs) So I'm good. Like that's an excuse. (laughs) Anyway, this chapter starts with some more child abuse, right? Mm-hmm. Locked in yeah. the cupboard until summer holidays. Yeah. Do we know when Dudley's birthday is? Uh, so I was I'm... wondering the same thing. And when Harry gets to the new bedroom and sees the broken video camera that's mentioned in this first paragraph, mm-hmm. he says it's a month old video camera. So he's been in the cupboard for like a month. Okay. Um, HarryPotter.Fandom.com says that it is June 23rd. Okay. So he's right. a cancer. A month. Let's talk about, just for five minutes, my favorite thing, the smelting stick. Smelting <laughs> stick. He's just smacking everything. He's smacking the banister. He's smacking his dad in the face. He's smacking Harry. They get into a little tip. Smack, smack, smack. That's practice. <laughs> for later in life. Yeah. yeah. Good, supposed to be good training for later in life, which, you know, correlates to all the times that I've been spanked in my adulthood. <laughs> well, I like that line because to me it implies, it's said in narrator Harry's head, and to me it implies that was something that, like, Vernon said in passing, and so Harry was like, okay, I guess I just have to accept that. It's, it's a thing where, like, kids will regurgitate what adults tell them without really understanding what they mean. Right. And that's probably something that Dudley said, too, of being like, yeah, it's going to prepare for, it's going to prepare us for life, whatever that means. <laughs> now that you say that, I almost don't want to say what I was about to say, but that part about smeltings and about the smelting stick is, like, the first glimpse, like, we get, I feel like, of a bigger society that's like the Dursleys, like... Mm-hmm. For a little bit in the book, you get to imagine that Dursleys are just, like, this terrible, terrible family, and it sucks that Harry ended up with them, but then there's this entire school that's like that, unless unless you really think it's just the sticks aren't supposed to be for that, but... I don't know, like, what the fuck else would they well, be doing? Right? No, the they, They're not walking well, It also sticks, mentions right? that the boys at the school when the teachers aren't looking, that they, like, joke around with each other and hit each other with Like, them. of course, what else would and they do? Yeah. obviously that's something that Vernon told Dudley about when he was a student there, I, I think. Real quick, I'm just going to read. Smelting's boys wore maroon tailcoats, orange knickerbockers, and flat straw hats called boaters. Could have skipped that sentence, because I'm really trying to get to. They also <laughs> carried knobbly sticks used for hitting each other yeah. while the teachers weren't looking. So 
it, it implies that supposed to be good training for later life. It implies that their sole purpose is hitting each other, but the teachers don't condone it. So why is it part of the uniform? I feel like it's not like the school's official position, but they don't stop it from happening unless it's really, really blatant. I think from a literary perspective, for me, the way that the sentence is phrased, they carried novelty sticks used for hitting each other, not meant to be used for hitting each other. You know, it's it's what they're used for in terms of how the students use them, but I don't know that it's what the school intends. But what, yeah, what do Just to be fair. See, I think they do. I feel like I got very, like, Spartan vibes. And these schools, to become Spartan soldiers, they weren't fed enough, and they were kind of... The idea was they were supposed to steal food from other students and sort of the strongest survive kind of thing. If you got caught, you got in huge trouble. But the idea was to make you better at survival skills. They don't talk about that in Rick Reardon's Roman Guide. <laughs> of course not. I, I feel like, I mean, I've read a little <coughs> bit about like the Spartan schooling system. That checks out. That I would be prepared to believe that. <laughs> I don't remember when I heard that or why, but... Make, no, me. it makes sense to me. Uh, I also just like the name of the school, Smeltings, because it's very industrial sounding. And to me, that goes along with Vernon's job at the drill company. And it's very, it's just, it doesn't sound any fun at all. Yeah. And it's such a, like, Dudley school to go to. J.K. Rowling does have a really great way of conveying a lot about a character or a place with just the name. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's literally a thousand examples throughout the series. For sure. I am aware that this isn't necessarily a weird thing to bring up, but living in the South and seeing that Harry's going to Stonewall High mm-hmm. was one of those things where I was like, oh yeah, Stonewall High. And I was like, oh no, wait, no, not Stonewall High. Like, probably a stone wall. Yeah, um, it just like ends there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fucking, what are, what are they called? You know, the tribes. You know, the Angles and the Jutes and the Saxons. <laughs> Just building walls left and right. <laughs> Mostly from stone because it was available in the fields. I have a question. So uh, a couple minutes ago we were talking about the narrator and like the narrator being some version of Harry. Definitely, especially in these first couple chapters where we're with the Dursleys, you, the, I mean the narrator's just laying out the sass. Like, do you think the narrator is Harry? Do you think the narrator is just on Harry's team? Do you think that we're not really supposed to think about the narrator? This is a very British style of, like, social satire in writing. Like, very Terry Pratchett. Like, there's just a sardonic tone of that the narrator kind of slips in. And, like, it, it kind of reflects in the naming stuff. Like, the whole society, like, the wizard society and also muggle society are kind of meant to lampoon the real world a little bit. Like, the Dursleys are very much a caricature. And then, like, the like when you start getting into Wizarding Britain and, like, the Ministry of Magic and all of the ridiculous shit that goes on there, like, that's also kind of a satirical, like, parallel of the real world. I think that's part of the reason why the audiobooks of Harry Potter, the Harry Potter series, are so popular. Um, it's so good. I think that the narrator is supposed to be this character in and of itself this like very clever dry kind of tone and so like almost like the narrator of a movie like mm-hmm. um am i think am i thinking of like the, <laughs> the jeremy sumter peter pan does that one have a narrator which is like and they were all tucked into their beds like whatever maybe i'm thinking mm-hmm. of the fucking great or like the, <laughs> the looney tunes did those occasional cartoons where it was like about some part of life do you remember those 
It was like not a normal. No, no. okay, I'm 33, so. I watched a lot of Looney Tunes, but I don't remember what you're talking about. It would sometimes be not about the regular Looney Tunes characters, but there would be these other ones that were like. It was like an after school special about like, don't smoke because it killed no, Bugs Bunny. No, I didn't have a message uncle. except to just like be a funny kind of satire about some part of life. Like, huh. dang. Deep cut for children. Yeah. <laughs> I just feel like there's a shift in the like narration in these beginning chapters we get this like really overarching narratorial voice and then later i feel like once we get into more of the action we lose that a little bit so you know i think that there's going to be a shift soon i think part of that is also because um once harry steps into the magical world the characters kind of make fun of themselves Mm -hmm. you know like you don't need to joke about them Lavender out here being like, my little one-one. And it's like, <laughs> we don't need, we know. Like, we, <laughs> we know ridiculous. they're all insane. Yeah, so it's almost like you, like, we talked about in previous chapters, the Dursleys live a really mundane, normal muggle life, and it's like, it might not seem funny or ridiculous, except for that the narrator is making them look ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And Harry with wisecracking comments, like, looking in the bowl where his uniform is being dyed and saying, oh, I didn't realize it had to be so wet. <laughs> Which I laughed out loud at. Because then Petunia immediately is like, don't be stupid. It's like, yeah, he wasn't being, he was literally just making the best dry comment you ever did heard. A dry comment. Hey. Poor Harry. He literally has to go to his first day of the new school where he's trying to be yeah. cool. He's trying to make friends. And he's going to look like shit. Like, there's yeah. no way that's not going to look like shit on him. I know. It's so sad. But I did notice that he asks, like, what is that in the pot? And she answers him. She gives him, like, a full explanation, which, like, strikes me as unusual. I'm like, wow, she literally answered his whole question. So that was cool. Way to go, Petunia. <laughs> like, yeah. This is, like, one I think Petunia. this is kind of the one chapter where you get, like, I don't know, you get a little more personality from the Dursleys, because, like, last chapter, everything was kind of caught up in, like, the whole debacle with Dudley's birthday. Like, that was not a typical day. This is more like a typical day for them. Like, they they are very much abusive, but, like, this is the one chapter, I think, in the entire series where Vernon calls Harry by his name. At least at the beginning, it's a very typical day. Yeah. Let's move on from the smelly <laughs> elephant uniform. Um, just a quick uh, phrasing note that I really, really liked. I love that she says that when Harry picked up the letter, his heart twanging like a giant elastic band. I absolutely love the imagery of mm, that. Yeah. I think that there is, you can feel that, you can hear that. It's such a beautiful little line. I really enjoyed reading it. That image really is great because that elastic band, it makes me think that it's broken, like something's changed now. Mm-hmm. You know, where we talked about last time and the beginning of this chapter where stuff just sort of happens to him and these awful things are happening and he just sort of makes light of them um, as much as he can. And then after that, when the mail starts coming, he really starts kind of fighting for it um, and sneaking out to get it. And I think something's different now for him. I think that part of it is that he has always felt like an intruder in these other people's lives, and they've obviously made him feel that way. I mean, they treat him like shit. They're like, you don't even get a bedroom. This is our house. You're lucky you get to live here. And this is probably the first thing ever in his life that is like obviously for him and it's probably really cool looking and it's he like feels like you know it belongs to him in a way that like not even his clothes belong to him like someone has seen him outside of this it literally says the covered under the stairs right and i just love that Mm -hmm. like an an adult would be super creeped out by that address (laughs) as a kid he's like 
Oh my god, they know me. Like, yeah. Is it McGonagall or Dumbledore, do we think, who addressed that letter? Because to me, that says from either Dumbledore or McGonagall to the Dur- Dursleys, like, bitch, I know you've been keeping my boy wizard under the <laughs> stairs for 11 years. I'm assuming there's some sort of admin whose job it is to send off the letters because everybody gets this letter mm-hmm. that's established. And it's also established that they have essentially a role kept at the Ministry of Magic that has all of the, like, people who will get invited into the wizarding schools in it. People who have expressed magic get added to the role in the ministry. I think it might be... Uh, formal administrative function. So I think that this letter that comes through the mail slot is definitely part of that administrative function. But I think all of the subsequent letters are coming from but Hagrid. Mean, because Hagrid, oh, Hagrid is like been assigned, you know, to like get him. Except that Hagrid can't is like functionally illiterate. I don't think he's writing them. I think he is forcing them into the house because well, spoiler alert, he shows up in the end of the chapter. Is it not Owl's though? Well, well th- okay, so that's what I was wondering, because later in the chapter when Vernon mail- uh, nails up the door, the letters are still being, like, shoved through the crowd and all that stuff, and I'm like, how the fuck is an owl doing that? I just thought they were all enchanted. So I think we're thinking owls in this case, partly because, like, owls are the main form of, like, correspondence, and partly because in the movie, like, you see owls all over the house. True. I don't think owls are ever mentioned in this chapter, and also, like, it's not just that the letters are being, like, push- pushed through, like, cracks in the house. They're rolled up in the fucking eggs. Yeah. That takes dexterity. Like, I think, <laughs> I think that there's, like, Dumbledore. That has Dumbledore written all I, over I think it. this is Dumbledore being, like... Oh, like trolling them. I see that they didn't open the letter. The it has uh, the red receipt has not showed up <laughs> on my list. So I think there's an argument to be made for this is Dumbledore or this is Hagrid. I think that after the letters start obviously not getting to their intended recipient, someone has to step in. I think it's Hagrid because he shows up at the end of the chapter and Dumbledore's the headmaster and school starts in two months. And I also just love the concept of Hagrid standing on the roof being like, all right, now I'm going to use my fucking umbrella and enchant these like seven letters through the chimney. And then he's like, oh, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Totally backwards. And it's like letters everywhere. And he's like, this isn't what I intended. (laughs) It's weird in the recording when laughter just like fades away. Like, it's like so awkward. So I'll I'll hook up that laughter to this. I don't know if this is harping on it too much, but um, I I did not picture anyone involved in it. Like I pictured that this school has been there for so many years. Whatever system they have for it sends out the letters, and if they don't get it, they keep sending it. Like there's, it's like an automatic email that just gets sent, and Hmm. if someone doesn't get it, they keep sending it or something. I would say also with Hagrid, it would be very physically difficult because he doesn't, he can't operate. So sending a Hagrid-sized figure to deliver post seems uh, both unnecessary and potentially very revealing. So I think that there's a lot here, a lot of variables here that we can't be sure of because we don't understand the true limits of magic, especially Dumbledore's magic. Could Hagrid send Dumbledore a message and be like, okay, I'm standing on the Dursley's roof, but now they're at an, at an island in the middle of the sea. I need you to send me that right do? now. Yeah. He, has, like, to, he has to ask Dumbledore for permission to be like, do, can I follow them to the, the house on the rock? And then Dumbledore's like, yes, you have my administrative permission. <laughs> I just, I feel like Hagrid is like the final letter. Like, I feel like someone else or some magic is sending out these letters and then... 
Hagrid's notified and they're like, we gotta yeah. send an they're, actual... I, they're like, we need to bring out the big guy. Yeah. I, would, yeah. I would second that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Why would we think that they would be... I understand that they have a general aversion to magic, the Dursleys do. But wouldn't it be a real relief to get Harry out of their house for in a semi-permanent basis? This. I was this. thinking the same thing. Um, because, like, this reaction is obviously very extreme. I think there, like, there's an element of irony here because it's it's said in, like, the very first, like, paragraph of the whole book that their greatest fear is anyone finding out that they are in any way associated with wizards. So if Harry is going to fucking wizard school, it's, like, it becomes exponentially more difficult for them to maintain like, their illusion of normalcy, and in Uncle Vernon's, like, desperation to maintain that illusion, he ends up acting like a fucking crazy person. <laughs> yeah, Vernon says, I'm not having one in the house. The Dursleys at this time know what we and Harry don't know until the end of the series, which is that Petunia's blood is actively protecting Harry. Right? Because her sister died to protect him. All spoilers all the time. As much as they hate him, I don't know if they necessarily want him to die. Right? And so I think that they know that when they send him to school, he has to come back to get that protection. And she knows that because of what Dumbledore explained in that letter that we don't ever get to read. So if you send him off to become a wizard and he's becoming a man and a wizard and realizing that you've been abusing him for 11 years, every time he comes back, you're in greater danger. So I think that they would probably rather keep him close and normal and stifled than send him out to become this great big thing that they don't understand and are afraid of. I think also in their mind, they're thinking like, if we ignore this, it'll go away. And, and that's also what Vernon said. Well, that's what he says like about the letters specifically. Like if we if we don't open it, they, they'll stop sending them. Like... If we don't respond, they won't do anything. But I think also, in general, they're thinking, like, if we don't send him to the wizard school, then there's nothing for him to learn. There's nothing. He'll just stop. He just won't be a wizard. Like, if you don't go to school to become an engineer, you won't become an engineer. (laughs) Which is a very muggle perspective. Yeah. Well, and they've seen him do all this crazy shit. They have to know that it's in him. They're just really in denial. I still, I think they still think they can stifle it. Mm -hmm. I think that's like, you know, people who are very against any form of homosexuality who think that they can just have their kids not read anything about it and not watch any movies that involve it and not be around anyone who even mentions it and they can somehow get rid of it in their lives. Like, that's going to make it better. And those kids usually end up Gay. Gay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, like, finding out on their own in some way that's probably more traumatizing, for sure. I will say that it shouldn't, however, be a surprise to them, and they should know that it will better control it and disable him using it when he's back at their house, because Petunia has seen this happen before with Lily. Like, she knows the way this goes down. She has to have an unhaired understanding of the fact that they can't use magic outside of school, and also because most wizard children have these like pop-off moments where they first start expressing their magic. I'm assuming the same thing happened with Lily. Mm-hmm. She should probably know that this will actually make kind of the outburst better. I don't know, man. There's a like 20-ish, I'm guessing, years of being married to like the biggest worst muggle. Like it can really change your perspective. You know, that's a long time to be deep, deep 
in Muggle Town. And it's really, it's a lot of Vernon who leads them into this, trying to avoid it completely. And I feel like she is quietly going along with it, probably not believing that it's going to help. Plus, like, Petunia's perspective on Lily was a little bit, like, I, th- I definitely think that you're right that Petunia, like, should have known at least about, like, the summer thing. But, like, growing up, Lily might have expressed magic in weird ways, but from Petunia's perspective, she didn't see, like, the fine-tuning of Lily's control. She just saw, like, Lily doing more and more weird shit just on purpose now. And then dying. Yeah. Is it possible that they're worried that Haley... Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> they look really similar. <laughs> Haley's a brunette with glasses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it possible? I have a scar on my forehead. <laughs> I feel like there's some fan fiction out there where it's like a girl Harry Potter and it's Haley Potter instead mm, I can see that. of Harry. So is it possible that they are worried that Harry will acquire the skills to come back and just fuck their lives up for what they've done to him? Oh my god, yes. I feel like that's like a long-term concern. (laughs) Yeah, I think, um, you know, Vernon says, didn't we swear when when we took him in we'd stamp out that dangerous nonsense? So there's absolutely a, a moment of trying to stifle Harry here, and I think... That that's their goal. They think that if he doesn't go to school, yeah, he's not going to use the magic, and and the and the line that line has is cut basically. But then they move on to being worried enough about being watched effectively that they show Harry the first tiny scrap of forced <laughs> kindness we've ever seen. Basically, like CPS calls them out for the cupboard under the stairs, and they give him a bedroom. Do you think that they give him this room because they are afraid of the repercussions of being monitored, actively abusing him? Or do you think they change his room as a challenge to see if the letters will change? I think it was that. I think they wanted to, quote unquote, change his address. I think it's I think it's a, an abuse cover up because the Vernon literally says watching spying might be following us muttered Uncle Vernon wildly like he's in a full tailspin yeah. being like clearly they know a lot about us this is a time before video cameras were everywhere like how would you even get that information like the thing with abusive like family situations is that it's normalized within the household. So like as soon as they realize that there is an outside observer, like outside of their immediate circle, it's not that they feel shame. It's that they're so image conscious that they're like, okay, okay, well now we have to change this so that it looks okay because like it does look bad. It looks really bad. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I forgot about that part. You know, of course, I remember that he's in the cupboard. But until I read it, I forgot about the fact that there are four bedrooms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of which, is, two of which are taken by people in the house, two of which are just extra rooms. And he still doesn't get to stay in either one of those. In their defense, Aunt Marge, when she comes to visit, she's she cannot fit on their couch. <laughs> that bitch needs a queen-size bed, bare minimum. Yeah. Also, I guess I need to backtrack what I said about them living in a really unimpressive house, because I had also forgotten this was a four-bedroom home. Oh, yeah. And uh, being at an adult age, now I realize that a four-bedroom home is a luxury. (laughs) Must be nice. (laughs) I I do think that the one in the films, which is what you were specifically Mm -hmm. addressing, could not accommodate four bedrooms. Well, great. So, um... Uncle Vernon has a nervous breakdown. Do we want to get so good? It's great. It's great fun, right? It's really like, fun. Like you, we're only. I'm 30 pages in. What are what page are you on over here? Like page 40. You're about the same. So we. I mean, we're pretty into this book, and he's been a dick the whole fucking time from page one. 
And finally, he is really unhinged, and it's kind of like nice. I mean, he is pulling out his mustache. Like it is, it is crazy. Like I was wondering what what drives a man to grow this sort of mustache. (laughs) It's really bad. So I'm glad that he's pulling it out. He really needs a whole makeover. I love that as he's having this mental breakdown. Um, Dudley gets ignored for the first time in his life. Uh, yes. Oh, Love. and he's hungry. Yeah, he's <laughs> deeply <laughs> Um, He's can angry. I, can actually. I read this line? Mm-hmm. So this is the morning after Harry has been moved to his his bedroom, and Dudley is upset because that's where he needs to keep all of his broken things. <laughs> it says, Dudley was in shock. He'd screamed, whacked his father with his smelting stick, been sick on purpose, kicked his mother, and thrown his tortoise through the greenhouse roof, and he still didn't have his room back. <laughs> and it's just like, what a fucking brat. I really hope we're not talking about a live tortoise. I know. I thought uh, that I think like, it's a, I think it's a live no, tortoise. I think that's why she made it a tortoise, though, because he's in a <laughs> shell. For, for, so hopefully it, like, protected for, him. I actually hope it's not a tortoise for two reasons. The first being that it got thrown through a greenhouse roof, and the second is that tortoises live a long time and are an exceptionally bad choice for a pet. <laughs> Um, quick question. You guys are reading the American Scholastic version. Do y'all have Oxford commas? I was not paying attention. I'm reading the British version. Oh, yeah. Um, right here in this list, right right before the tortoise. Yeah, there's no Oxford Yeah. You got oh. Oxford commas? Oh, isn't Thank that God ironic? Well, it is really funny that the Oxford comma is not generally in the used British. in the UK. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're wrong. bitches. <laughs> anyway, we're editors. We love the yeah, Oxford Yeah, listeners, I'm we're pro-Oxford. Across the board. Is anyone at this table anti-Oxford commas? I mean, certainly not. Y'all work at the same company as me, so I will tattle. <laughs> um, okay. For those of you listening, Oxford commas are essential, should be used as essential, and have been proven to be legally essential, so use them. That's a great point. And I love that, okay, he's moved to the bedroom, and the letters are still throwing shade with the smallest bedroom for privilege. <laughs> See, that's why I think this has to be Dumbledore just having a laugh and being like, I'm going to fuck with these Dursleys. It is a very Dumbledore sense of humor. Like, So this that letter comes after Harry has the wise idea to go meet the mailman Mm -hmm. and get the letter, but Uncle Vernon is surprisingly one step ahead of him and is sleeping at the bottom of the stairs, which I find unrealistic just because I'm sure he has a really bad back. Um, He's not a very healthy person. He is very paranoid, though. I don't think he would want to sleep on the floor. But it shows how obsessive he is right now, that he is not thinking like he normally would, and he is willing to sleep on the floor to get the mail first. Yeah, I think it's, like, worth noting that people use the phrase, like, nervous breakdown, mental breakdown really loosely, but he's literally having one. Mm-hmm. Like, it's happening. Like, this is a mental breakdown. He's not okay. Also, why did the Dursleys own a sleeping bag? I That's a great question. As camping people. Sleepovers? I bet Boy you... Scouts? I think well, they just own anything. I bet <laughs> you it's, like, one of... one of Dudley's presents, maybe when he was, like, in a camping phase, and so they gave him, like, a tent sleeping bags, a fun thermos with a fun character on it, like a bunch of like random camping supplies, and then he just never used it. I like that image more because now Uncle Vernon is stuffed into a child-sized sleeping (laughs) bag in front of the front door. I was wondering during his birthday chapter, I was like, if they've been giving him gifts, and also when they're listing all his broken toys, I was like, if they've been giving him gifts at this rate, like I've been with Sean for four years and I've run out of gifts to give him. Like, how do they consistently find 40 gifts twice a year to give this child? 
to be fair, with children, it is so much easier because they make an unlimited number of toys for just everything. Well, apparently yeah. one year they had to resort to camping gear. In <laughs> <laughs> a small tank. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he ran gun. over the neighbor's dog with. Oh, yeah. He's a... Like, let's talk about the neighbors real fast because Ugh. in chapter one, he's been kicking his mom up and down the street begging for sweets. Okay. Yeah, running over... The neighbor's dog. Everything just spying on them. Owls everywhere. Full on hitting Mrs. Fig when she was on cross. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you think the neighbors think of this? Like, do you think they notice any of what's happening? I bet the neighbors fucking hate the Dursleys. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. I love the reading that they don't like them because then all of their, like, Efforts. overt attempts yeah. at normalcy are coming off as a delusional and terrible family. Like, everyone around them is like, why the fuck are these people so unhinged? And I would love to know that their efforts are in vain. I just, I feel like they would pick a place to live that's a place where people keep to themselves, probably do messed up things, but never get into other people's, into other people's business. And I just imagine the neighborhood maybe not liking them, but being what... Most of the world, I think, most of what humans are, which is, like, not caring enough to really pay attention. Like, they, I'm sure someone has seen Harry at some point and has probably gotten some idea that he's not treated well. I know they tried to hide it, but... So, this is something that, like, I've, I was thinking about this chapter and kind of last chapter. Like, the way that the Dursleys treat Harry consistently throughout the series is kind of in line with, like, pre autism awareness like treatment of an autistic kid a little bit like like remember book two when he like supposedly drops the pudding on the visitor's wife and they're like meeting strangers upsets him we kept him upstairs we send him to a special school like it's it's like the mistreatment of an autistic kid and i feel like that's why like the neighbors kind of let them get away with it because they're like well, he looks weird, and he acts kind of weird, so he must be weird, and they just have to deal with him because he's weird. Wow, that is actually probably literally so true, because imagine, like, a neighbor just being like, hey, how's it going? And Harry's just like, uh, 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 and then he, like, runs away because he nobody ever speaks to him. Yeah, and, like, it continues into, like, when Harry gets older, like, the neighborhood kids have been told to avoid him, and, like... I think that might kind of be what's going down. Like, because I always wondered, like, how does no one call, like, Child Protective Services on these people? But, like, that happens all the time with, like, neurodivergent kids. Like, and especially before, like, the awareness movements, like, it, it kind of checks out. I'm not just Gryffindor. I'm divergent. <laughs> <laughs> There's no post on Sundays. <laughs> That's one part from the movies that was so good. So yeah. good. His face when he says that. He's like so, so happy. Crazy eyes and they're like kind of flinging it No post on Sundays. And, and there's like there's so much tension in the room. Yeah. Like, the crazier he feels, the crazier shit gets, right? It's really, like, you almost feel for him for a minute. His life, for the first time ever, is spiraling way beyond his control. The eggs, that's when I would get really (laughs) under the eggs. Um, Like, somebody did that, you Mm -hmm. know? And so, yeah, no post on Sundays. And then the, the fireplace, man, and I love it so much. 
That's yeah. so good. Oh, I really dig, and this is obviously not time period appropriate, but he's apparently driving and muttering, shake him off, shake him off, and I'm just imagining, <laughs> shake it off, shake it off. <laughs> Actually, I was more thinking Taylor Swift. Totally Taylor Swift. <laughs> I'm just imagining yeah. Vernon driving down the street being like, shake him off. Shake him off. Shake him off. I shake it off. Just over and over while everyone in the car looks on nervously. I sort of forgot how many different places they go. I definitely just think of the movie, how they go, you know, straight to the little shack on the rocks in the middle of the sea. Which in retrospect is like a really dramatic leap. That's a dramatic leap. Yeah. So yeah, they... I just remember being so confused about that in the movie because it cuts from Dudley goes, Daddy's gone mad, hasn't he? And then Petunia looks really scared. And then it cuts immediately to the house on the rock. And so as a kid, I was like, is that like... Their lake house. <laughs> like, what? I was, I was just so confused. Just a little You're vacation right. home. Yeah. 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 And then in the book, it's like it's an escalation. Oh, yeah. it's an escalation well, because they get to the hotel mm-hmm. and they find him at the hotel. And yeah. Vernon's like, "Well, we cannot be at an institution, yeah. right?" Like, we so need... then he goes to the forest, and then he goes to a field <laughs> and, and a parking deck, a parking deck, deck. Nice. which I love. He's... I don't know why I love it. They need to go like off the grid yeah. and like. Going completely off the grid is hard enough for someone who's, like, incredibly well-informed and prepared, but for a Vernon Dursley, mm-hmm. like, he, he's doing his best. He's probably wearing, like, a collared shirt. He's probably wearing loafers. I mean, he's not equipped for this. He says he comes back with rations, and for their fat, fat family, he got four bananas and four <laughs> bags of chips. And I think, like, when they're, like, preparing to get in the boat, like, the old man that gives them, like, the mean smile. It's like, he's just like, I don't know what the fuck is up with you people, but you are weird. Um, Before they get to the lake house, which I'm pretty sure is on the ocean based on the severity of the storm, um, I I really love the time they spend in the car. It is, like, so tense. (laughs) You can imagine they don't have smartphones, they don't have anything, uh, Dudley got yelled at for trying to bring He's trying to bring his fucking television. But he, he has nothing. And so they're just sitting, like, in silence in the car being like, oh, my God. He's With so crazy. Vernon singing Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> so I just love the tension. Like, I love the buildup. And then storm forecast for tonight, said Uncle Vernon gleefully <laughs> clapping his hands together. <laughs> like, he's really lost his shit. I noticed something here. This gentleman's kindly agreed to lend us his boat to get out to the shack on the sea. And the way that the language goes, it was freezing in the boat. Icy sea spray and rain crept down their necks and a chilly wind whipped their faces. After what seemed like hours, they reached the rock where Uncle Vernon, slipping and sliding, led the way to the broken down house. So the old man is no longer with them. Yeah, am I confused? Am I to believe that Uncle Vernon rode them in a storm against the current out to a house? Yes. Like absolutely fucking not. Because he's insane. He's got insanity. It's like when a mom like, like, like sees her endangered child and yeah. like, lifts the car. Like that's <laughs> what is happening. But his life is in danger. But it's his, it's his normal life that he's sa- saving right now. God, just like this is the most miserable place in the world like they really just make it seem like everything is covered in filth and like just really bad i really want to know um who the house belongs to because they say that the old man's gonna lend them the boat but they don't mention where they rented this house from did they rent this house did they find an abandoned shack in the ocean and go this will do i i I think what vernon did maybe is 
Because at each location that he drives to, he it mentions that, like, he'll drive, like, somewhere random, and then he gets out, and he'll, like, look around, yeah. and then he'll get back in the car and drive away. So I think what I'm imagining what happened here is he gets out, and he looks around, and he sees there's a house on a rock in the middle of a fucking ocean. He's like, I'm going to investigate that. So he goes into, like, you know, the random... You know, 7-Eleven, quick and easy. There's always, like, those vacations you go on where it's like, oh, that's the last gas station or, like, that's the last sign of civilization until we go into the, like, woods to the cabin or whatever. So he goes in there and he's like, tell me about that house. And they're like, oh, it's it's been there for 84 years. <laughs> and they're like, we don't know. It's been there. No one owns it. And he's like, can we stay there? He's like, yeah, I'll give you my boat. And that's how it happened. That reminds me of um, this music festival I go to in the summertime. Um, they post in the event page and they're like, hey, the 7-Eleven on this street is out of White Claw because it's the last <laughs> it's yeah. the last one on the way to the campground. So it's like, if you want some, you got to go somewhere else. Yeah. I really enjoy imagining this driving montage he does, like, middle of the forest, got out, looked around, shook his head, got back in the car, as just, like, a Wes Anderson, like, panned out (laughs) moment of just, like, different cutscenes to, like, overly cheery music of Vernon just looking left, looking right in a bunch of different places over and over and over again. Because, uh, just to read it, so got, he goes to the forest, looks around, they went off again. Same thing happened in the middle of a plowed field halfway across a suspension bridge Mm. and at the top of a multi-level parking garage also remember he's in the middle of a mental breakdown do you think that everyone panicked when he stopped in the middle of a suspension bridge also what was he looking for there i i house house on a rock (laughs) i genuinely believe he stopped and looked over it and was like if we toss him in the water (laughs) does this end Oh my god. Do you think that's real? Do you think they're like, can we ditch this kid? Okay, honestly, forest, cloud field, suspension bridge, multi-level parking garage, I think they were trying to kill Harry. Good point. Oh, that's why he's like so he happy. Easily killed him at the, I feel like those are all... They could have killed him at their house. No, it would have been much fine. more comfortable. These are all, like, generally hideable places to bury or yeet him. I have definitely <laughs> seen, like, a dead body found in each of those locations in an episode of CSI. Like, okay. I was going to say, really parking, glad CSI was yeah. Park, Parking Garage also. I've, I've been listening to the DC Sniper podcast, and that's what immediately came to mind is because that's where one of the people was killed, was in a parking garage. So, so at the as the culmination of this driving around sequence, we get Vernon had parked at the coast, locked them all inside the car, and disappeared. Yeah. First off, it's functionally impossible to lock people inside a car, as cars can all be unlocked from the inside. I don't think it means that. I think he thought he was keeping them safe from whatever yeah. letters slash people. Well, he, he, he did lock again. them. It didn't say that, like, he permanently locked them and they couldn't get out. He did. He locked the doors, but obviously they could have gotten out. I'm more imagining a scenario where they've been driven around by this crazy person and he, like, locks the car as he's, like, like shuffling away and they're all just kind of like, can we get out, or should we stay in? Depending on how old the car is, you can lock a car in such a way where if you open it without using the key fob or whatever, it'll set off an alarm. You can't be locked 
from the inside via alarms. Christina knows, yeah. Christina knows this from personal experience. I was going to say, <laughs> and the reason I know this is because it's happening to me sometimes. Yeah, I definitely have done that. I think that's a good, just a good detail, a yeah. quick detail that she could put in there that means they knew they were not supposed to get out of that car they were supposed to This leave. is very serious. Because you don't, yeah. if you want your family to get out with you, you don't lock all the doors before they Also, get out. though, like, I remember as a child being on road trips and then, like, all of a sudden, I don't know, we'd pull over to a gas station and my dad would have to, like, get maybe, like, ask for directions or something. But you could tell he was in such a mood to be like, we're going to let him go deal with that and no one's going to talk to him or say anything because otherwise he's going to lose his shit and we're going to be like, okay. Angry driving dad is, like, such a mood. <laughs> We've all been there. Yeah. And then even more alarmingly, he comes back after disappearing and he's smiling carrying a package and is just like out of the car everyone that's like, right the a long thing quote unquote like foreshadowing that isn't revealed until the next chapter i think for what yeah. that package is yeah but yeah it's a broomstick yeah <laughs> and it just says it just wow. says Petunia asked what she, what he bought but like you know that she she's scared off from my mouth she's like uh sweetie <laughs> um, what? what's in the package <laughs> I really do want to make a policy where anytime we quote a character it has to be in a British accent but it's just a spiraling nightmare uh, that sounds fine I genuinely love that we get the only glimpse we'll ever get of what the uh, Dursleys give Harry for his birthday um, because honestly I'm surprised they give him anything for like why go to the bother of giving him garbage I think it's because oh, I think it's because it's more of a sign to be like, we thought of you and we gave you something horrible on purpose, yeah. as opposed to like, oh, we just ignored you and we forgot it. Like it's giving very someone, intentional. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like giving someone one dollar in a will just to make sure that they weren't forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to be like, I didn't forget you. Oh no. I remembered you. <laughs> like a coat hanger and a pair of Vernon socks. Which is way worse somehow than Dudley's. Yeah. Also, and then I know in a future book he gets a toothpick yeah. at one point for his one of his birthdays. Or maybe it was a Christmas present. I think I don't it was know. Christmas because like, it happened yeah, at Hogwarts. He gets, yeah, he gets a toothpick. And the thing with the toothpick God. is you can't always tell if it's been used or not. <laughs> <laughs> they gave him a coat hanger to be like, you could have been aborted to be grateful. You're like, <laughs> like this. Honestly, I immediately jumped to abortion, and yeah. it just because that is what coat hangers are synonymous with in wow. terms of gifting well. them. Yeah. yeah. Do you? I don't know. Are you kidding me? I think the 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 Dursleys are very pro life. <laughs> I think they're very pro life anti vax. Well, that's why they're like, be grateful. <laughs> Um, yeah, your hippie liberal mom. Uh, speaking of, send us your favorite things about Alabama. <laughs> God damn it, bro. Hashtag better in Bama. <laughs> um, so let's get to the cabin. The shack. What do you want to call it? Let's call I'd it say shack. shack. That's what they call it. Um, I think they yeah, what's on his woodsy. letter in a couple pages. Whoops, I mean, he doesn't get a letter in a couple pages. What are you talking about? Um, going back to how un-outdoorsy they are, he thinks that Again, four bags of chips and four bananas are enough food. And then also he tried to start a fire with empty chip bags, yeah. which do not burn. Even if they're paper, that will get you basically nowhere. Yeah. The book calls it The Hut on the Rock. Okay. Ooh, mine says Jack. Mine says Jack oh, as well. Fun. Wait, wait. Most miserable in the, little Shaq. It's in the imagine. next chapter, Christina. <clears throat> yeah, there's a... They call it a couple different things. We're going to call it The Shack. 
Um, not to be confused with the Shrieking Shack. Yeah. Or the Love Shack. Or the Love (laughs) Shack. So, the inside of the shack was horrible. Mm -hmm. It smelled strongly of seaweed. The wind whistled through the gaps in the wooden walls. And the fireplace was damp and empty. Absolutely fucking miserable place. And the Dursleys... Have never, I mean, the the hotel room they stayed in the night before is the worst, nastiest place they've ever been. So, I just, like, you know, the the fact that Dudley and Patina just kind of, like, shut up and go with it really speaks to how unhinged yeah. Vernon is in this moment. And how afraid they are. Mm-hmm. And I did just, real rem- like, I just put two and two together, and there's a gigantic picture in my illustrated edition of Vernon happily, passionately rowing this boat <laughs> with his own two hands that are usually used... For writing contracts about drills. <laughs> I mean, he has essentially quit his job. Yeah, to, yeah he misses a lot of work. To do this. Mm-hmm. He misses, like, almost, a, it seems to be almost a week's yeah. worth of work. Yeah, because he takes a day off to uh, nail up the door. Which also, how do they leave the house? They pull I think, the I no, I think it's mentioned, like, when they, they get the out to the car, like, it's mentioned that they, like, wrench their way through yeah. the door. So he's taken off work. Friday, Monday, and, tu- and the next day is Tuesday because her right. first day is Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So that you know, if he hasn't taken a lot of sick days, he could be, this you know, he could I be like having some excused absence. I feel like he's not a sick days kind of guy. I feel yeah. like he's the guy who comes in with the flu and gives everyone the flu. Wow, what Again. a shitbag! Again, <laughs> the Dursleys are anti-vaxxers, so <laughs> this is plausible. Vaccinate your children. Yeah, do it, please. So, <laughs> Vernon. As the chip bags are, oh, sorry, the crisp bags are <laughs> shriveling up, he's like, could do with some of those letters now, eh? <laughs> and I just imagine he makes that little joke and he kind of chuckles to himself, and Petunia, Dudley, and Harry are just staring at him, not laughing at all. Mm. And they're just like, and he's just like, <laughs> <laughs> It's funny that, like, um, during this whole episode, Dudley... Petunia and Harry are finally kind of in the same boat. Mm-hmm. Like, Literally. Well, yeah. Harry is Point not Harry's not in any way being further abused than Dudley and Petunia are. So I do feel like they might even be exchanging some eye contact. <laughs> Harry's like, this fucking guy, right? And Petunia's like, I know. Also, <laughs> Harry's persistent uh, level of just normalization. What is he thinking about during this entire ideal or ordeal? His birthday. He's just like, oh, my birthday is tomorrow. And then they, he's curled up on a floor in front of no fire in the storm. And he's literally like, oh, 10 minutes till my birthday. Just calm as a cucumber. And he, uh, I can't find it at the moment, but he says, like, he wonders, he hears a noise. And he wonders if the roof is going to cave in. He thinks at least he'll be warmer then. <laughs> yes. And that's his only thought. He, he, okay, five minutes to go till his birthday. Harry heard something creak outside. He hoped the roof wasn't going to fall in, although he might be warmer if it did. Yeah. So I was interested in, like, this scene where Harry is awake by himself, counting down to his birthday at midnight, has stuck with me forever. Mm-hmm. Um, it means a lot to me, and I have a hard time putting it into words exactly why. So I was interested to see what you guys think. I just love that it's a literal countdown mm-hmm. to like the rest of his life, like this huge yeah. moment. It's just even though he we doesn't get a, know it. Yeah, he yeah. has no idea, but we are getting this literal countdown to like 
it all starting. And also when you talk to children, they seem to think it's a really big moment when they jump from not being able to count their birthdays on their fingers. Mm, that's yeah. true. Oh, true. Yeah. I, I remember having that thought as a kid. Right. Like I'm, oh, I'm, I'm more than two hands. I'm more than mid this many. <laughs> that's, like a, that's actually like an ancient, like human, like concept is like you have as many items as you have fingers. Zero doesn't exist in the olden days. And also Anything more than 10 is many. Yeah. <laughs> I am many years old. Yeah. The earliest like pieces of art that we have of like the human race are just like literally us putting our hands in paint and slapping because like that's what set us apart from other animals. Mm. Like just the way that our hands are formed. Second, I just love that the last thought Harry has before his life changes forever is 30 seconds, 20, 10, 9. Maybe he'd wake Dudley up just to annoy him. 3, 2, 1. <laughs> His Boom. last thought is just to be a little shit. Um, do you think that... So so Hagrid... You know, spoiler alert, it's Hagrid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, what? Do you think he... Do you think there is any correlation? Do you think he's intentionally waiting until midnight on Harry's birthday to come get him? Do you think that this is just when he managed to catch up? I you think, think it's no that, magic? I, I think it was like a case of Dumbledore being like, okay, hey Hagrid, they're currently rowing out on an ocean to a hut on a rock. I think it's time for you to go in and talk to Harry. And then Hagrid probably got distracted by a couple muggle things on the way. And then he just got there much later than he was supposed to. <laughs> I think he might have used a port key. Like, port keys operate on, like, time. Like, they, they go off at a particular time. He can't apparate. So I, like I can that. totally imagine Dumbledore, like, with his flair for the dramatic being Dumbledore, being like, all right, this is going to take you to this shack, like, five minutes before midnight, which is, like, the cutoff for this kid. Like, so you're just going to get there and knock on the door exactly at fucking midnight because drama. Well, like, yeah, like, definitely if, you know, they, they know that they're ignoring the first letter, which came on Thursday, they're like, all right, well, if they haven't answered by Harry's birthday, we'll go in, right? So maybe that's, like, what it is. And then, yeah, the flair for the dramatic picks up, and he's like, let's do midnight. <laughs> <laughs> it just feels right. It just feels right. Just really like, inconvenience these McGonagall's people. still just in the corner, like, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> so, She's just always in the corner. She just wants to operate a normal goddamn school. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! The okay. whole shack shivered, and Harry sat bolt upright, staring at the door. Someone was outside. Knocking to come in. I'm so hyped for the next Man, round. it is so Cliffhanger. Good. I wonder who it is. It's <laughs> definitely not Hagrid. <laughs> Alright, so any final thoughts? We got to the end. Mm-hmm. Just a fun time. It's about your real fun. Your real also, fun. just like a great cliffhanger from our girl JK. <laughs> this is the first chapter where I have been genuinely sad to not read on yeah. immediately mm-hmm. because you're... We're all standing on the precipice. Yeah. I'm glad that someone said it because Andrew wasn't here, and therefore there was no one to say that this time. Wow. <laughs> you can cut that out. But <laughs> For the first time. Every, every chapter so far, someone's been like, I just feel like this is really the point where there's like a cliffhanger, and then the next chapter, like I, every single one. I think that is like, I mean, one of the interesting things about the way we're doing this podcast is I don't think any of us have read these books so slowly. Yeah. Um, it's going to take years. And I think that, you know, I'm someone who rereads these once every two to four years. And that means I read it within two months or whatever, the whole series. And then two years later, I want to read it again. Mm-hmm. So I think it'll be really interesting to stretch it out in a way where it's like part of our lives yeah. for mm-hmm. several years. And I think that's part of the reason that scene 
that final scene of that chapter means a lot too because I was 11 when I first read this book and I remember and this is probably a similar case to a lot of people I was the same age as him in a lot of these books so like from the beginning I was could feel exactly like he did because I was the same age I was eight when I started reading these, which is worse because then you get the disappointment birthday when you <laughs> turn 11 and your letter doesn't come. But And you know it's a book, but also maybe. You know? I, I sent my um, elementary school best friend Lainey a fake letter. Um, but she, that bitch is smart, and she saw right through me. <laughs> Lady, Thankfully. Thank God. Yeah, I know. It was really mean. I used to be an asshole. We've talked about this before. I was a really <laughs> shitty person, but uh, I was not a Hufflepuff yet at that point. Um, Lainey and I used to sit around my bedroom and read Luna Lovegood's parts aloud to each other because we wanted to audition for the movie, and we were practicing our accents. Oh, that's oh. so amazing and fun. I was Shoot. too young to understand that I was an inappropriate choice for Cho Chang, and I used to think that that was going to be my audition moment. We, we, I think we all know that your 11th birthday is not the day that you get your Hogwarts letter because that's not what happened in the book. They send them sometime in mid-July and it happened to correspond several days later with Harry's birthday and that's where we got this like cultural perception that like oh on your 11th birthday everyone gets your your hogwarts letter my birthday's july 22nd okay well fuck you <laughs> i'm a cancer but harry's a leo but you can tell he's cusp and i'm cusp too like you can tell he's got some cancer sensitivity in him i distinctly remember having this exact philosophical argument with my friends where i was like i mean technically they can send it any time of the year that we're 11 so like you don't have to give up on it until you're 12 <laughs> wow on that depressing note i think that's a great place to end this episode so yeah does anyone have anything to plug so i started watching uh the untamed on netflix which is like very dumb like martial arts adventure with like magic but like strong homoerotic overtones and Ooh. it's i mean it's super derpy but I, i'm into it <laughs> cool um i might be really behind the times but i saw parasite last night oh <gasps> very good <laughs> i mean it won a lot of awards but um i endorse it also so you guys just go right ahead i didn't watch it at first because i was like that sounds nasty i think it's because for me it has similar connotations of human centipede no no and no, that's no, where no, my no, brain goes that's so, it's parasite in a sociological sense yes okay, okay. As always, you can listen to That's What I'm Talking About wherever you get your podcast. New episode every Tuesday. Um, I've been watching a new series. Uh, it's a freeform series, formerly ABC Family. Um, and it's called Everything's Gonna Be Okay. And it's actually really, like, it's kind of, like, corny, but it's actually really, like, funny, but also nice and poignant. Um, I was actually going to recommend the same thing because I've also been watching it and it's oh, cool. utterly delightful. Do you have um, cable? No, I watch it on, it's on Hulu. Hulu. Oh, cool, yes. cool. So I'm going to plug a book. <gasps> yes. Oh, wild. Actually, it's, I don't know how I feel about it yet. So it's the first <laughs> self-help book that I have ever read. Oh, shit. And it's, uh, my sister-in-law went to an event where the author was speaking and she got me a signed copy, which was really sweet. And it's called Slay Like a Mother. Hell yes. <laughs> the first line is something like, are you tired of working hard, you know, and being tired all the time and still not being good enough? And I'm like, dang, she knows me so well. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. See if it inspires me. 
Update us next episode. Yeah. Okay. I've been watching some new TV and reading some new books, but nothing, nothing really incredible. So I'm gonna plug some old and oldie but a goodie. Brooklyn, you got my back on this one. I'm gonna plug my favorite podcast of all time, Hello from the Magic Tavern. Yes. <laughs> um, if you like raunchy fantasy bullshit, which you probably do if you're here. I highly recommend it. It's an improv podcast. It got me in a podcast. It got me in improv. It's so stupid and hilarious, especially if you start from the top. So could not recommend it more. Hello from the Magic Tavern. Unless anyone has any final words, I'm going to wrap this bad boy up, wrap it up nice and tight. Thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to get to chapter four, The Keeper of the Keys. Uh, until next week, get the fuck out of my house. The Restricted Section was created and hosted by me, Christina Kahn, based on the book series by J.K. Rowling. All music by Ryan Kahn. Logo by Michael Hardison. Technical support from Sean Watson. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at RestrictedSectionPod or shoot us an email at RestrictedSectionPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts, feelings, complaints, conspiracy theories, or lavish praise. Yeah, and now I listen to podcasts constantly. They fill the void when no one is talking at me. See, I just, like, that's that's exactly my problem with podcasts, is, like, if I am just listening to other people talk for an extended period of time, I start, like, the back of my neck starts to clench up. <laughs> I get so irritated on a fundamental so level, and I can't handle it. I'm actually the most introverted person. I think I've ever met. I Like, you are the exact archetype of someone who would have been just the best nun in the world. <laughs> I thought of in like that. the 1200s, you would have been the most. Yeah. No, there, there are two possible careers for me if I had been born like 500 years ago and like at any point past that. And the those are nun and bog witch. <laughs> yeah. Have you? I feel like that's not the first time you've said bog witch to me. <laughs>